It's just the two-man show this week, but the quality doesn't drop off. Be sure to stay tuned and listen in as we discuss everything in independent league baseball here on the Indie Ball Report Podcast. All right, we are back again, and for the first time in about a month, we do not have a guest this week, although we do have announcements including several guests and a new series that will be coming out at the end of this episode. But that is still about 40 minutes to an hour away. In the meanwhile, we do have a lot of content for you. We have an update in Quebec, an MILB update, and then just some general discussion around the entirety of independent league baseball, what we could see on the long term, what we could see uh, as far as a possible opening day, return to normalcy, if you would. And then there's also some news coming out of the Pecos and Empire Leagues, which, you know, why not cover it? We could jump right into Quebec now and get busy with the news. Quebec, right as, like, it was almost as soon as we finished recording last week's episode, they came out and said, no mass gatherings until September 1st. Right. So, naturally, we were like, wow, they couldn't have announced that, like, 30 minutes earlier. We would have seen it, could have discussed it. The The general overview of this whole Quebec situation uh, they issued, Quebec being the whole province of Quebec, issued the same decree as the city of Toronto did, which is no mass gatherings. However, it's really for parades and like Formula One racing and things like that. Sporting events are exempt. You'll still see like the local soccer team. They could play the baseball teams, particularly the two that we care about in Three Rivers and the Capitals. They could mm-hmm. still play. They could still have some gatherings and stuff. Um, and, and after, August 31st, they can go back to full-scale gatherings. Now, of course, at that point, you're looking at end of the regular season, start of the postseason, and that's the best-case scenario, of course. How much value that provides, who knows, but still, they could do that. As we started digging in here, we got some word that the possible start date that the Frontier League is looking at is June 15th or July 1st. So I think we're going to, before we keep going into even further notes that I got here, uh, let's talk first a bit about the the restrictions and then about the start date. Yeah, so this is obviously best case scenario for Quebec and all the teams that are in Quebec. This is really a good best case scenario for those organizations because they will be able to be exempt from this. So it's definitely a good thing. However, the reality is when will games get started back up on a whole is the larger issue. Uh, and would you know an August 31st date even be soon enough <laughs> for some of these kind of things is really what we're talking about here. But yeah, I know I certainly think that the uh, that this is a good thing for getting baseball back as a whole because if you have an entire province where two teams um, in uh, are playing, you just can't run the league. You know, you can't run the the frontier league. They would have to find other places to play, and it would be a, a very uh, difficult thing. Exactly. Now, see, the issue that I have here, and there's one thing that that they did come up with a possible solution for getting people into the games, is that families are exempt from the social distancing protocol. So, obviously, if you have a family of four, they could all sit together. They don't have to be sitting six feet apart. Right. But they said, well, just sell, like, bench seating. So, like, one bench to a family, then a bench six feet apart to another family. And obviously, it's not ideal, but, you know, it's something there. However, yeah. that doesn't account for a couple of major issues. Uh, 
the first is border crossing. Uh, obviously, you have two teams in the Frontier League that are in Quebec, that are in Canada as a whole. If they can't cross the border and teams can't cross the border into Quebec, then who's to say you can that this even matters? I mean, like right, absolutely. They, exactly. Like, are they just going to play a ninety-two game slate of games against each other, splitting? Well, would that be <laughs> like nearly fifty games apiece at each other's home? I mean, like forty-five games each, forty-six games each. It, I mean, they wouldn't play ninety-two games. I'll say that exactly. Right now, it it wouldn't be feasible. Also, I assume for your food solution is that you're just gonna kind of have people standing six feet apart in line, and then someone hands the food or puts the food on the counter with like a plexiglass shield or something like that. I assume is how that would work. And then the other major thing that I don't think people are thinking of that I just kind of thought of before we came on was. How are you going to handle a bathroom line? Yeah, and bathrooms right. entirely. Because already you're going to... Obviously, bathrooms off the bat aren't the cleanest, especially during a game. It's just too hard to keep up cleaning. Yep. But then if you have a line there, you're going to have six feet of people six feet apart in the line? Or are you going to close off like stalls and urinals that are not six feet apart to make right. things even worse? I mean, it's, it's not really a tenable thing here. And that's not. assuming that, you know, then people aren't just carving it right into the bathroom just to wash their hands. Right. And right. also, I mean, let's think about it this way. Who is going to want to go do this in this type of an environment? Exactly. That's another big point. Families are going to risk their safety and security if there's not a full cleared okay. Exactly. that. And then I want to focus a little bit more because the, the general decree here, it's what you kind of expect. And I don't think it really is as important to the Frontier League as it is to the MLS team in Montreal, mainly because, like we've been saying here, you need people in the you need them in the stadium. There's no way around that. And if you, even if you can do the bench thing, and we've already just pointed out that there's a lot of problems and there's going to be a public apprehension to it. So that decrees just more or less saying you can host games if you want, but if they can't have a full stadium, it means nothing to them. Yep. The, the thing I want to address more so is that start date, because I think that's the more interesting point here. I think it June is. 15th off the bat is way too soon. I don't see that yep. as a possibility. I think nope. that's like a very best case scenario here because keep in mind they have teams in New York, New Jersey, you have other teams in Indiana, you have teams in Illinois, you have teams in Ohio, you have a team in Pennsylvania, I believe, you have teams smather you have a team in Kentucky, you have yep. teams all across here and then into Canada obviously. And we just yep. mentioned the border crossing issue and mm-hmm. that's going to be a problem in itself and if you say okay they can't cross the border well, uh, we'll just move Florence over into the Can-Am division to level off teams, and we'll have a 12-team league as opposed to 14-team league for this year. And then next year, once there's more herd immunity or possibly a vaccine, then we'll go back to our full 14-team slate, and all will be well. Well, there's, the again, the issue of crossing state lines. Just because New York and New Jersey will hopefully be through their hotspot outbreak by, you know, June 15th, doesn't guarantee you that Kentucky won't be in the middle of it. Doesn't guarantee you that Illinois won't be in the middle of it. It doesn't guarantee you that you're going to have people traveling from one hotspot. I think they said Philadelphia and Washington are the next two that they're watching at the moment. And, Mm -hmm. well, Philadelphia is just a hop, skip, and a jump away from the New Jersey teams. And there's a lot of people that are going to be traveling from Pennsylvania that probably come into contact with someone that was in Pennsylvania or Washington itself. 
they come back, they come into North Jersey, they could start another outbreak. There can be a second wave like that. So until you really have it fully under control, I don't really see any way that you can definitively say it. And I think July 1st is a lot more of an optimistic date than, say, June 15th. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, we want to be optimistic. We don't want to get too downtrodden, and I don't want to make anybody feel bad. But I think we need to really take a look at the situation. And We're almost, you know, we're halfway through, more than halfway through April. You know, <laughs> we're getting close to May when the season's sort of been starting and things. I mean, we're getting to the point where the reality is for the Frontier League, the Atlantic League, for teams and leagues that need gate revenue, this is might be a lost season. This might not get played. I mean, it just might not. I mean, as much as I want to see baseball and you want to see baseball and we want to remain optimistic, we also have to be realistic. And the data that is showing is hundreds of thousands of people across the United States have this uh, disease. And it seems like more people are going to continue to get it. And there doesn't seem to be any type of treatment that is right on the horizon, right? There, certainly we're talking about vaccinations and maybe this drug will work and maybe that drug will work, but these are all kind of plausible things and science takes time to figure these things out. So it seems like, you know, the more we get to this, I can see pro sports happening in the summer. I could see, you know, no fans in the stadiums, pro sports happening um in the summer but i could not see i don't really know if i see a path right now anyway now this is a fluid situation it's been since the beginning it you know i have no idea i'm not an epidemiologist i have no idea how the disease will interact with anything but all i know is that at this moment in time it just seems very unlikely that this season is going to get played in my opinion anyway i don't want to say it's unlikely although i will say if we do get to the point where the July 1st date isn't going to be met, then I would agree with you on that point. It's just, like you said, it's very hard to predict. And like you were saying, science takes time. You can't just snap your fingers and have a vaccine. I think I said a couple weeks back that how many people are going to rush out and get the vaccine the second that it's available? I think there's going to be a large amount of people that are going to be like, eh, I want to see side effects long term here before I commit to this thing. And if that's the case, it's going to take time here because you don't want to be given a vaccine that you find out, oh wow, and this, if you have this one genetic sequence here, what it does is it poisons your blood and then you're not good. You can't find something like that out once it's been in the general public. You need to go through so much clinical testing that, that when it's released, that it's perfect. It's well, maybe not perfect, but it's going to work and it's not going to cause more harm than the disease it's preventing. And uh, right. I mean, I think that's true. However, I do. <laughs> On that point, I think we disagree. I think there's, there are a lot of people who will say, yes, there might be risks involved with this, but it's particularly high-risk individuals are going to look at it and go, you well, know. Of course, high-risk are going to, but I'm just saying as a general public, which is really what you need this vaccine for. Yeah, I mean, I, th I do think a lot of people could, will be skeptical of it because people, uh, for uh, in my opinion, uh, are skeptical of vaccinations in general, and wrongly so. It's important that we do understand that it's going to take time. I mean, it's not we're, it's not over the summer we're going to get a vaccine. It's going to be a year, 18 months, probably longer. Because, again, like you said, there's a lot of clinical trials that it needs to go through uh, in order for the FDA to say this is okay uh, to be used and need to make sure it's effective. And if the disease mutates, then it might be a kind of a moot point, the vaccine anyway. So... Yeah. 
there's just so many variables with this that are really hard to account. And you bring up a good point. I mean, it, there will be people that will be uncomfortable with the vaccine for a multiple number of reasons. And then what do you do, right? Then there, there's going to be people who stay home. So then if you can, if you have to stay home, and then you continue to stay home, then, you know, you're not, you're not going to a baseball game. So it's exactly. a difficult situation we're in right now. And I, I don't know if I see a clear path toward, okay, yes, that is how this season gets played at this moment in time. Exactly. Yeah. That. And also I want to just kind of swing it back to baseball here because I, in another article, I saw that Schomburg's GM said he expects five to six weeks of lead time. So I assume that would mean he expects a month and a half before opening day to know we're going to have opening day. So for June 15th, we need to know on May 1st, which quite frankly, in 12 days, that ain't happening. And nope. then if you want the July 1st date, it'd be May 21st, which a bit more plausible. It gives you about a month to figure it out. But even that, I'm really, really touch and go on it. Uh, right. I mean, it may be a month, right? I, I could see if so, you know, June 1st to July 1st. I mean, that, that's a more plausible situation, but who knows where we're going to be on June 1st. I mean, right now, New Jersey and New York are still getting hit really hard. We're, you know, we can hope, uh, being from this area that it's kind of lifted or subsided by June 1st and we can slowly begin to get out of our, uh, perspective, uh, respective uh, dwelling places. But I mean, it's just, you know, the question is, can they get everything together in a month? Is it enough time? And what will the country look like? Will a hotspot that is in New York, New Jersey be now, like you're saying, Washington, D.C., Philadelphia? I mean, even in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, I heard they're having a mini outbreak. Oh, yeah, uh, with the pork plants. Yep. So, I mean, there's serious issues going on all over the country. And it doesn't seem like whether you live in, you know, a rural kind of more agrarian setting or you live in a city, it doesn't really seem to matter. The virus is getting there. So it's I mean, high population density, low population density. I mean, it's a, it's just a very difficult thing. And like I said, I think it's, I think it will be hard for teams to pull it together very quickly. But I do think that if, if we do get that opportunity, right, if the numbers flatten really well and, you know, everything starts, seems to be really on the downslope for the country as a whole, then I do think you'll see it. I think you'll yeah. see people getting ready and wanting to, to, to go out. Like you said, that herd immunity kind of thing mm. where, like, look, not a lot of people are having it, so might as well go do it. But I mean, yeah, again, that, another, that's another difficult yeah. proposition. Yeah. That, and I want to go back to what you hit on a little bit ago when you said about pro sports playing in this or in the summer, rather, like they can afford to do that too. They can afford to start later and then go into say November. Already with independent leagues, we see a noticeable drop-off in attendance as soon as the clock switches over from summer to fall. The second Labor Day hits, you see the attendance dwindle because now you have kids in school, oh, parents yeah. and stuff are like, okay, time to reevaluate after all the money we spent over the summer, time to get yep. a little bit more frugal and save up because Christmas is coming and all mm -hmm. that. So you can't really afford to go into October, into November it's just not a financially viable solution. It's arguably worse than not playing at all to play in front of 50 fans. And if you can't, if that's going to be your reality, then you have to start seriously considering that lost season possibility, like was mentioned. Now, again, I still, I think you'll see at least one independent league play this year. Which one it is, I don't know, but I think at least one will. 
if I was a betting man, I'd put money on the Atlantic League. I think they're the most uh, feasible that could yeah. play just because of the location of their teams. I think especially if you don't see that southern Pennsylvania region get hit very hard, then mm-hmm. you still have York, you have Lancaster. Now, Somerset would have been out of the fray. You will have seen uh, Long Island out of the fray. And presumably, uh, Southern Maryland will be out of the fray. So that gives you some teams there. Obviously, High Point would be a bit more touch and go. And Sugarland yep. would be another issue in and of itself. But you can find a way to plan for that. And I'm sure Rick White and company have contingencies in place for that. Sure. Yeah, no, I mean, I think the Atlantic League could go. I mean, the other thing that we have to talk about that is part of it is there's a social stigma to doing anything right now. I mean, just every time, you know, someone mentions reopening on one of the sports networks, some very, you know, some very, very, very pious individuals like to get up and say it's a terrible thing. We shouldn't even have it. Sports, you know, we can't think about sports right now with all these people uh, dying and the, the realities of the virus. And, um, I think that is, is tone deaf to what, uh, the, uh, a lot of the, the country is feeling right now, which is trapped and isolated. And sports can do really important things. Obviously, you need to stick within the, the health parameters, right? But to say it's wrong to come back if the health parameters do improve and if the health of the nation improves, I think that will be, that's ultimately something you have to combat as well is that, that idea, that stigma that, uh, well, you know what? This is this is bad, uh, a bad thing for the country to to come back at this point, or the sports to come back. So I think I've heard it a lot, and I've heard it even for like major league sports. People have made the argument that it's immoral in some way for them to come back with all of this going on. So I mean, I don't think the argument is that it's immoral. I don't think the argument is anything like that. I think it's just saying that to bring them back now would not be a good decision on multiple levels, namely. If you start everything up again after having players essentially live in a hotel for months at a time, because it's the only way to keep them isolated, if even so much as one person on a training staff gets the thing, everything's shut down again, and then it's definitely not coming back again. I think that's different. That's a separate argument from from what I've heard. I mean, I, I've heard like you know, just to have it going on in with the grand scope I, and the backdrop of people dying and, and people getting sick is uh is bad right just for it to be happening at the same time as that's happening is a bad thing and and i think that's something that is a a problem the other argument you make is a fair logistical argument what do we do with the players how do we keep them healthy and i mean they're human beings too right like so that's a different argument but i i do think that there to a certain point is a a stigma on anything right now (laughs) like oh there is certainly that i mean obviously uh there's people that are not feeling great about not being able to go out and do things, but at the same time, it's like, well, you really can't. That's, right. that's the point. And when you see people getting all upset about it, it's like, look, I'm not happy about the situation either. But at the same time here, I'm I'm not uh, going to be rushing out for anything else. I'm not sure. going to be rushing out and doing stuff. Because if Absolutely. you do rush out, do things, and just ignore all the guidelines and everything, you have to do keep in mind, we're going to have to do it longer. That's just yeah, sure. the thing. You going out and doing whatever may be great for you for that 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes. But keep in mind, if you get sick, now you're risking other people around you getting sick, which puts more of a toll on the system, which then makes everything worse. And oh, I, don't, yeah. I don't think that there's 
enough people that grasp the severity of the situation on a whole. And I don't think it's until you see the the death count and the body count really adding up in your local community that the message really hits home that, oh, shit, this is actually really serious. I mean, I I know I didn't take it that seriously until when the NBA shut down. I was like, okay, this is actually serious. And then when you start seeing the numbers just keep rising in New Jersey, I was like, oh, okay, this is serious. Right, yeah. So, yeah, the thing is, is that you are, you and I understand the, the gravity of this just because of where we are geographically located. I mean, it's decimated our entire region. Um, in the county that I live in, there's, there's thousand, you know, over, well over a thousand people that have it, hundreds of people who are dead, uh, probably similar in, in your county. Oh, no, we tripled your numbers. Oh, wow. You have rookie yeah. numbers. We got like over 3,000. And so you've got, so you're seeing this just widespread uh, destruction, and, and yeah, a, a separate issue. It's not to say that the some of the the social uh, uh, commentary around this and the stigma of going out is not is not worthwhile. I mean, it's important. This is a serious thing. I'm not trying to downplay it in any way. I'm just saying, making the point that if you're going to open things back up, that has to be removed in some way. Um, and I don't see that happening because I just don't see uh, people being okay with going back out in the the times that we're living in right now. I just don't see it. Yeah, no, it's not going to happen because people are too terrified to go out. And, I mean, to an extent, they have every... It's not an unfair reaction. It's not? I mean, it, it totally makes sense why you would be terrified of this shit. Because it is terrifying. Oh, I mean, yeah. how... Like, I'm just looking around by me, and I see... Like the numbers are astronomical. I mean, as a, as a state in New Jersey, we have almost eighty thousand tested positive. Like that's yep. just a staggering number right there. It is. And, like just in my county alone, we have over eight thousand that were confirmed. Wow. Over five hundred dead, and only twenty two recovered. Yeah. That I that mean, should bring home the point here that yep. this shit is serious, and that I understand the desire to reopen. Yep. But at the same time, you gotta you gotta be smart about it, and you're better off you're better off waiting and being certain than you are rushing into it. And I feel like at this point we're just kind of you know going around and around here. Sure. And I yeah. do want to bring it back into independent league baseball because we may have been going off on a bit of a tangent on it. Mm. But uh, still, it's just I, I understand the desire to. It's just. You can't force the issue because if you try to force it, then we would have spent the past month for absolutely nothing and everything is just going to get a lot worse. Right. I agree with that 100%. And, you know, it's, and when it, from a baseball perspective, just a purely baseball perspective, that's what makes starting the season so difficult is when, right? And how. And I think, again, I mean, we, you, we have to see July 1st is, a long time away still, so I don't want to be, I mean, I said it, I said I don't think, but it, it just means that at this moment, looking at the this moment, I could definitely be wrong, baseball could definitely be played, but in this moment, with the emotions high as they are, for very good reason, and the rea- reality of the data, it, you know, a July 1st start date for any league, anywhere, looks looks difficult at the, this moment, but the data could change uh, you know, there have there's drugs in trial that could you know could possibly work. Uh, there's a 
clinical trial that had the markets go up the other day. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, these things are possible. Things can happen. But it's a very fluid situation. It has been from the beginning. But uh, from what I, from my vantage point right now, I think it's hard. I think it would be very hard. But yeah, And that kind of divide that we're seeing right here is a divide that's happening in the American Association. Uh, yep. We've seen last week we said the Lincoln GM was saying, I don't expect to play baseball this year. And meanwhile, the Chicago Dogs owner said, I'm optimistic about baseball being played this year. And yep. it seems like two different worlds here where it's like, yeah, you do understand all of your states need to have everything together. Um, so I'm not sure I'd say I'm optimistic. I may not be, you know, as Stead said on their not being ball played. But still, uh, I, there's obviously a clear push and pull inside all of these leagues as to what what's going to be the case here. Yeah. And it really is up to up to the governors of these states, as we've seen, as to when there's a political aspect to it. <laughs> you know, when will the governors open these states is extremely important to this, because if you if your state's not at least partially open, you're not playing baseball. Sorry. As much as these leagues want to, you're just not. Exactly. So. Yeah. And then uh, I know last week we said that on the 17th, we were going to get an announcement from the American Association. However, apparently that's been pushed back to the end of the month. Now, I assume this means they were really hoping that June 15th could be a start date for them. So they figured, yep. oh, okay, well, if we go ahead, we could keep opening day basically where it's at right now. And with the May 15th, just push it back a month. We could mm-hmm. announce that right then and there, have concrete dates, and that will help a lot of people out. And we'll have a giant solid plan here. So yep. there's no harm in waiting. Counterpoint here, uh, obviously, you're going to have to delay things. Guys were told not to report on their schedule date. I understand you only need a, a week-long spring training, but still, you have to have a lot of guys coming in from a lot of different parts of the country, and some guys from out of the country that just aren't going to be able to get in, and uh, there's no way you're not going to have to push this back. I feel like suspending indefinitely is the proper play here with a constant update of like every 14 days just saying, all right, as of right now, this is our plan. These are the updates we're making, and we'll continue to keep you informed. I think something like that would be a smart play. But, yeah, I agree. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. But I just want to take one second here and just kind of look long-term, because we've been spending about a half hour on this so far, but I do want to just cover one more thing before we move on to some other topics here, which is namely, what do we think the kind of long-term effect is going to be? Because obviously... The way that ball games were played last year is not the way they're going to be played either this year or 2021 or even 2022. So what do we think the the long-term outlook, particularly for the independent leagues, are going to look like? Yeah, and I think we're going to get to this in a little bit. And a lot of it is hinged upon what Major League Baseball does with uh, the affiliated baseball to MLIB. Uh, mm-hmm. I think uh, MILB, excuse me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that that is, that is really the question is what happens there. But from just a virus perspective, I think that it will make attendance more sparse, uh, certainly early on, uh, once everything starts opening up. But I do think that it will lead to whenever people are feel comfortable. That could be a long way away. That could be 2021, 2022. I don't know. But. Whenever people feel comfortable, that season that people feel comfortable, I think you'll see really, really record 
uh, numbers. You could, right? Um, but the other argument to be made there is people are going to be a little hesitant even once this is all over, getting back in big crowds. Um, they're going to say, well, we're kind of a little hesitant about this. So really, it could go either way. Um, it's hard to prognosticate these things. I do think that people will definitely want to get out uh, once they can, uh, whenever that time comes. They'll mm. definitely want to get back out there. But I also think that you'll have a large section of people who doesn't. So, I mean, it will it will change the way. You will see teams close. You will see leagues shrink uh, because, especially if there's a lost season, there just won't be the gate ref to keep these things open. Uh, you know, your Somersets, your Long Islands, your kind of pillar teams in the Atlantic League and even in the Frontier League, they'll be okay. Uh, I mean, maybe like they might survive uh, a lost season, but there'll be some teams that if they can't operate, they don't have a lot of cash reserves. So it'll be very difficult to keep going. So you, I think you'll see a real contraction, uh, particularly what Major League, depending on what Major League Baseball does with their affiliated leagues. But um, you'll see a real contraction within independent league baseball uh, because of this, I think. Oh, yeah. No, you're going to see minor league teams across the board start to shudder just because like you said they don't have the reserve and we'll talk more about milb mlb in just a minute but for me i think the the larger thing is just that kind of game day experience is going to be a lot more different now i think you're going to yep. see a lot more people uh either just not show up as much because i think there's a handful of people that already were like ah, i could go to a game i cannot go to a game and for like it's something to do and now they're like um going to decide not to and i think that's just mainly going to be the, the extremely high risk people the ones with the underlying conditions the older people with diabetes namely and i think you're still going to see a large crowd i don't think you're ever going to see them totally disappear but what i will say is i think you're going to see a lot more different ways things are done i think you're going to see a lot fewer I think you're going to see a lot fewer kind of open air food options, that kind of thing, like the little stands you put up there. I think yeah. you're going to see a lot more of a focus on prepackaged food, which is another aspect of the whole Quebec situation there, where I assume they would have to go to mostly prepackaged food and prepackaged beverage. Yeah. I don't think you could openly cook there and not have people kind of eyeing it like, uh, should I, should I not type thing. Right. And, I think you're going to see a lot more of a heavy shift that way. I think you're also going to see a lot more apprehension among people in general to when they go out to a ball game to, you know, wipe the seat down, maybe buy the seat that's kind of away from everybody. You know, yeah. maybe they'll be up and walking around on the concourse more to just try and get away from people. Maybe they're going to be a little bit less hesitant when, you know, going for the giveaway night because of how many hands it's going to touch on its way there. Even when this is all said and done, because people, it's going to leave a lasting image in their mind. And yeah. I think it also goes to teams that are planning to operate this year under the circumstances. How, how much you want to, and I know it's going to sound weird saying this, but how much do you want to damage your brand? Cause this is something I thought about because these are all built off of family fun entertainment, which normally includes a lot of on the field stuff for kids that or kids or even adults that want to participate in that a lot of like t-shirt toss like giveaways there's a certain, a certain ballpark culture almost to it uh, when you go to a minor league game you expect that 
And this, you know, there's not, they're not throwing t-shirts in the crowd because people are going to be like, ah, oh, someone else touched that. Even if they're wearing gloves, it's still going to be, ah, I'm good. They're not going to be able to do giveaways because, again, people touching stuff, or at least people are going to be apprehensive about doing it. Sure. And, and you're going to have, again, with the whole prepackaged food element, you're going to have people further away. Plus, I wonder if you're going to still see like that kind of scramble for a foul ball around here when you want like a bunch of kids all running for the same damn thing. Like, I know it seems a bit paranoid and some people are going to say I'm way overreacting to this, but I certainly know that if you have a team based in like New York, New Jersey, after just going through all this shit, especially if someone in your family either lost them to this disease or they went through hell of fighting the thing, you saw how bad that got. Do you want to risk either yourself, your kid or a family member at a ball game like this over a baseball or over a t-shirt or something like that. It may be a bit overprotective, but it's still something that some people are going to do and it's something you have to keep sure. in mind. And even for the people that will still come out and that don't partake in all that stuff, it still does kind of dim the experience, at least in my mind, where this isn't what you're normal and used to expecting. And even if it was unfair to have those expectations going in, or even if you lowered your expectations, it still feels a bit hollow at the end of it and if they have this hollow feeling for this then they're going to go well it's going to be like this for the next couple of years so i think maybe we'll sit a season or two out and having yep. fans say that is a death nail it is it's a problem and and yeah i mean i think that's the realities especially when like this season would be very difficult to get a lot of people in the ballpark and i think you would see things like don't touch the baseball like don't you know don't go scramble for the baseball i mean i think you could see actually things like that parents being concerned with that um but i do think that in a few years yeah i mean there'll certainly be societal marks it will leave societal marks but i don't know i mean you know society's gone through pandemics and, and other things before i do think that you know baseball will continue uh, at some point at a certain level i think you'll return to a certain level of normalcy especially if you have some type of vaccine or something and people feel secure about not being able to get it uh then you'll see something that is more secure uh and you won't see such long-lasting marks now however if we if it mutates and we don't get a vaccine and it just kind of becomes one of those things where uh it's a reoccurring thing every year and uh you know it's herd immunity really that's allowing us to go back to everything life um i think something you know you see that then you can really have some problems in regard to that fan experience that you're talking about on a long-term scale i do agree on a short-term scale you'll definitely see that uh, but the only way you see that on a long-term scale is if people don't feel like they're, they can relax, they can be comfortable. And, and like you're saying, if you can't relax and be comfortable at the ballpark and you don't feel like it's the same experience you had, you might say, yeah, you know, I went once and I was just so worried about getting it that I didn't want to go back. Exactly. And, might, I, and I think you do bring up the point where in, in three years time, this is going to blow over. Probably in two years time, it's probably not going to be that bad. I think you're going to see some hangover into next year, regardless of whether or not we play ball this year. But the important thing that I think is something to keep in mind is really every year matters. I mean, you'd love to plan long term. I'm sure every team has a five year, 10 year, 15 year outlook plan. But those plans you got to put stock into are the 30 day plan, the one year plan. And for these teams, one last year revenue, like we've said, 
it's going to tank some teams. There's no way around that. But a year and a half of lost revenue is going to tank a lot of teams. And frankly, I'm not sure if there's any teams that could survive no revenue one year and then 50% revenue the following year. Yep. I Regardless if you play a full slate of games with a half your usual capacity or expected capacity or whether you only played half with full capacity, I don't think it really matters if the number's still 50%. I think you're yep. even going to see some stalwarts start to, you know, shake at the knees. And what really sucks is a lot of these teams just put a lot of money into their stadiums, upgrading and renovating it. And now you're going to have all that money committed already put into these stadiums. Sometimes with the projects, I'm sure, had to be stopped halfway through. So they have to pay enough to just at least finish it. Yep. And now they don't have the money for it. So it's really up, uh, up the creek. Absolutely. I mean, Especially for teams that don't have or don't have the cash to begin with, even with a full season, they're struggling to get by. Uh, with a complete season with full attendance, I mean, you know, it's going to be very difficult. And you know, if you now, if you get, you know, this season, you maybe it happens in some kind of limited capacity, and then next season you get more of a full season. Maybe it's still a little tepid, but uh, it's a more of a full season. And, you know, you get a, a decent amount of people to the ballparks, you know, everything will be okay. But if you don't play this season, and like you said, and in some way next season is impacted, you'll see a lot. I agree. You'll see a lot go down. I think now is a good time to kind of jump off of uh, the specific three major independent league topic because we've been on this now for about 35 minutes. So I'm sure people are a little bit tired of hearing about it. So we'll jump over now to those kind of more minor independent leagues, uh, the Pecos League and Empire League, namely. Pecos League announced they are shortening their season from 64 games to 48 games. And instead of having a season that runs from May 27th to August 1st, it will run from July 1st to August 16th. We've already set our piece on the start dates. Um, obviously, they're in a different part of the country. I don't know how badly it's been impacted there. And quite frankly, the numbers, those are just people that were confirmed, tested to have it. There's probably people that haven't been tested and did have it. And probably people that have had it and didn't even realize they had it. So who's to say what numbers are really accurate? Really, what we have is like the bare bones numbers, the bare minimum, really. And uh, I'm not sure if that's exactly a plausible scenario for the Pecos League. However, they also did po- uh, throw out the option of putting four teams to a city. So they have 12 teams in total. So they'd use three cities to house four teams to play all the games in that particular city. As already two Pecos League cities have canceled baseball in 2020. The Pecos League here is in a, a tough spot like every other league. Um, they probably have a better chance of playing than anyone else um considering that they're they can really constrict things and you know don't have as much with andrew dunn having a big say if andrew dunn wants to play he's got a good chance of finding a way and so that really is what it comes down to and also there seems to be less cases in the southwest from what i've seen i could be wrong but that's what my last look was that there's less Less cases in the southwest. So, I mean, there is, but there's also less testing, just to cut you off. So I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, it's one of those where it's like they probably have more than what they're showing, but we don't know because we can't test them because we don't have the tests. Yeah. So I mean, I don't know. I mean, again, this is another one. Is there a chance? Probably more so than a lot of the other teams because the travels less. Um, 
So, you know, and then he can really do some things that, that like, you know, play, have two teams play and mm-hmm. keep them at a short distance. And, you know, there are things floated that he could definitely do in that press release that I saw. There's a, there were some interesting, uh, things thrown out there. So, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting scenario with the Pecos League. And if the Pecos League doesn't play, that would be, you know, I think really a problem for them if they don't play at all. Um, oh, oh yeah, they would, they would be. They are. Yeah. Uh, and then obviously all that is pending local government's approval. Uh, and then just with the Empire League quickly, uh, they still plan on holding their training camp from June 1st to June 5th in Delaware. Uh, I'm going to leave that as it is and not touch it because I think uh, you could kind of guess where at least I'm sitting at after the past uh, 40 minutes of discussion. I think you could tell what I think of holding a training camp at the moment. But Yeah, I agree. Uh, you can probably guess my thoughts on it as well, considering uh, if I don't think the season's going to get played uh, for most teams then and most leagues, then uh, you can understand where I'm coming from on this. <laughs> All right, so we're going to leave that at that. Uh, and with that, we'll move into our final large kind of discussion topic of the day, uh, the MILB-MLB situation. I know we're an independent league uh, podcast, but at the same time, uh, what happens here does affect the independent league, so it is relevant. So negotiations are going to start up again over a video call on the 22nd of April, so I believe that's what, Tuesday? Or Wednesday, rather? Wednesday, yeah. yeah. Just to kind of get you up to speed with what's happening. Uh, MILB and MLB have a partnership that allows for the affiliation of minor league teams to major league teams. That partnership expires at the end of 2020. So MLB wants to contract 40 of these teams and eliminate all of the rookie and short A ball. They also have said that they want to allocate affiliates. So you would no longer have, you know, Washington being affiliated with Fresno. You wouldn't have the Mets affiliated with Las Vegas. They would be, okay, it's these local teams that are now all affiliated with their uh, local teams. So everyone's affiliates are close to the parent club. Uh, in addition, they also, MLB wants more control over the actual business aspect of MILB, and they want their offices in, I believe it's St. Petersburg, Florida, to be closed and to be just ran out of the major league offices in uh, New York. Also, there's also talk of developing it like a dream league where you take some teams that were going to be folded as well as some AAA teams that wouldn't work out anymore. They would go and form a dream league, which is like an independent league with major league branding. I It doesn't really seem to make much sense. And quite frankly, I think they'd be kind of better off just joining the Atlantic League or another league, but whatever there. And also they want to develop their own franchise system that is kind of the Dream League thing that would more than likely put a team back in New Orleans. And uh, at least they're targeting to steal Sugarland from the Atlantic League and St. Paul from the American Association. Uh, I believe those are really the main points. If you saw something I missed, do correct me though. No, those are definitely the main points. Yeah, you summarized it nicely. And again, this is this is what I was referencing earlier. With the Major League Baseball is doing a great disservice in this time of uh, serious crisis. But I mean, it plays right into their hands because you're going to have teams that, quite frankly, they're just not going to survive. Well, you know, if they don't play a season, they just won't survive. So it won't, you know, the contraction will be a lot easier uh, for Major League Baseball to do. 
you know, stronger teams will survive and the weaker ones that they want to get rid of, uh, will, you know, uh, will kind of let them go. And it's a shame because those, a lot of these teams are, uh, you know, so vital to their town or city's economy and especially in the summertime. And so if you get rid of them in already a time, we're going to have a lot of economic issues. It's going to be a really difficult, uh, really difficult thing. So I think MLB, we, we, you know, we've talked about this many times. I disagree with the MLB on this entirely. I think we've talked about it. This is how you get fans. These type of mm-hmm. grassroots cheap can go with the family, can go every game if you wanted to. Um, because you can, you know, reasonably spend the money to go for most of the home games. I mean, it's just, you know, there's something so part of that mystique that is baseball is minor league baseball uh, and independent league baseball, and it'll have a severe impact. If the Dream League actually does happen, that will have a severe impact on, like, an Atlantic League and the Frontier League and all of that as well. Yeah, we've said it before, that minor league baseball is how you grow a fan base. It's more affordable, it reaches more communities that otherwise wouldn't have baseball, and it's how you're going to appeal to a younger generation, which, as we've said in the past, is exactly how, or exactly what, Major League Baseball needs right now, as they have, I believe, the oldest fan base on average, which is like a 45-year-old guy, which means you really don't have uh, this next group of baseball fans coming up to keep you, well, funded. So you really do need the minor leagues to create more fans. Uh, to build on what you said about the Dream League, if it happens, I'm afraid, I'm really afraid of what could happen. Like, if Sugarland leaves, it's going to hurt. There's no way around that. It's definitely going to hurt, especially for the Atlantic League. But if St. Paul leaves, I'm really afraid of what that signals. Because they are essentially the OG franchise. Outside of uh, the Portland Mavericks that were many, many years before it, St. Paul was like the ones that really got the ball rolling here. Like when you think of cornerstone franchises, St. Paul's at the top of your list alongside Long Island and Somerset. There's... Those are just the ones you that immediately come to mind. So yep. if you leave, if you lose them, I wonder if that signals a major decline in independent league baseball, where everyone's now going, "Oh shit, should I be looking to jump ship?" Because yeah. let's let's be honest here: if you're the Atlantic League, you're Somerset, you're Long Island. You look over and you see St. Paul just left. You see your own league, Sugarland just left. Each team, let's be honest, if they wanted in, they could probably get into the Dream League. I mean, they. The Patriots have enough of a connection to Major League Baseball and the, and the Atlantic League at home because of the partnership yep. that they could easily jump in there. Hell, I would even argue that if the Yankees needed another affiliate, you could argue that Somerset would be the team they would look towards. And as for oh, yeah. the Ducks, I mean, they're right on Long Island. I could see that being a great double-A location for the Mets if they wanted to jump there. And at sure. that point, then the, Long I- then the Atlantic League's just dead at that point. You lost, yep. you lost your three best franchises. And now you're left with what High Point and the two. Uh, you're left with High Point, Southern Maryland, and the two Pennsylvania teams, and then yep. Gastonia coming in. Which that's something else that we'll probably discuss next week is how this affects Gastonia and them Oof. coming in, because I'm sure yeah. their stadium's being delayed construction-wise, and uh, that that just sets everything back. But regardless, um, I saw also in the one article that currently the projections for from both MILB and Major League Baseball of the minor leagues existing as they were as, at all was 50-50 because of this pandemic and that no business in 2020 could kill up to 10 teams. Yep. 
And right now, like you're saying, MILB has no leverage. Their yeah. leverage is the, is gone. It just is. And they want to expend the agreement that they currently have for another year to give them some time to try and negotiate a better deal. But why would Major League Baseball do that? I mean, just from a strict business perspective, why should they do that? They have all the leverage now. Waiting a year, they'll lose leverage as opposed to right now being able to go, eh, you know what? We're not going to extend it. If we wind up needing to come up with three affiliate teams fairly quickly, we could do that. It's not that hard to do because a lot of the minor league teams in MILB are owned by major league clubs. (laughs) So they could just use that and then you could probably just buy up some other local teams or just hell even start it. I'm sure if you came to a town that has an independent league club with a lease agreement that's towards the end of it and a major league club said, we want to put an affiliated minor league team here. I think in most markets they go, oh, well, we'll take the affiliated team just because there's a prestige about it, which I obviously don't, I think both of us obviously don't agree with, but still it could, it could be devastating if St. Paul leaves. Oh yeah. If any of that happens, it'll be devastating. And just this in general just shows how profiteering of an entity major league baseball is like, they are just out for the, the profits of it. And they're really trying to, I mean, they were already, I thought it was unfair what they were doing to minor league baseball when there was a chance that, you know, minor league baseball is still going to be played at full strength or an expectation that minor league baseball is going to still be played at full strength. But now that this has happened and major league baseball hasn't recalibrated to say, okay, well, this will really hurt the game. I mean, just on a local level, if we do this, this will really turn some fans off and, and really put people out of their jobs and devastate communities. Ah, we don't care. You know, we'll just keep, uh, keep with the same bullying tactics that they've got had from the beginning is really problematic. And it's really something that is uh, sad to see for so many of these teams that, uh, you know, the fans, it would be something the fans could rally around once this is over is going to the ballpark. And some of those teams might, might just close, um, one because of the coronavirus and two, you know, MLB says, we don't need you. Thank you very much. You know, if they don't have that promise that they're going to be back and be an affiliated team, and a lot of teams will just uh, not be able to survive. Exactly. I mean, it's just going to fall there. And that's not to mention that already Major League Baseball wants to cut the draft from 40 rounds to 20 rounds. So less affiliated guys going in every year. And that also will now affect guys getting signed to, you know, MILB rosters and Major League teams. Because why would you already, you have now more limited spots. You have your own guys that are filling up essentially a roster a year in uh, this draft now with the 20 guys coming in. Even if you say you only sign like a handful of them. Still, if I only have three levels of minor league baseball now, I have, say, triple A, double A, single A. Why would I waste one of those spots on a guy that's some no-name in independent league ball? Yeah, sure, he's been raking in this league and he's doing a damn good job in that league. But I got my own guys. I got even fewer spots now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is why I, I don't understand why it doesn't make sense for these clubs. I mean, for, from a perspective of player development and player talent, uh, finding talents, it doesn't make any sense. Like you, you oh, just it's a business. Won't money. It's business move. It's money grab. It is a money grab, uh, and it, that's what makes it so sad. Is that it's a yeah, like I said, it's a, it's all about profit. It's all about. Uh, understanding how to make the most money for these billionaire owners who could easily be playing, be paying the, uh, 
players a lot more, especially in big markets. They could be playing their minor leaguers a lot more than they are. Oh, absolutely. And I like how that's the one, uh, that's the one thing I think I just uh, recalled about this too, is that they go, well, because of doing this move, we could pay the players more as if they can't do that right now. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's like, oh, so I guess cutting the, the roster of guys making about 10 grand a year, that's really going to be able to ante up for everybody else. Because yeah. dipping into the Which, pocket for another couple million, that's that's too much. Yeah, what's their uh, salary cap? Uh, what's the Major League Baseball salary cap? I don't... I, well, off the bat, they don't have a cap. They have a luxury right, cap. Right, the cap, but the luxury tax, uh, excuse me. I don't know off the bat, but it is certainly uh, a large number. I'll put it that way. Uh, right, yeah. So, I mean, you have teams just, you know, no salary cap in the league. And you have teams like you know the Yankees that go into that luxury tax every single solitary year. Uh, the number is two hundred eight million, and yeah. it was projected going into next year to be two hundred ten. But obviously, uh, this pandemic is probably going to change that a bit. Right, but yeah, I mean that's crazy, isn't it? That yeah. you've got like two two hundred eight million dollars. Teams are going over that and into the luxury tax and on their payroll. And they can't pay guys in the in the minor leagues more than ten grand. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I mean, really, it's just ridiculous. And the thing is, too, it's not like they're affording giving uh, you know, these minor league clubs more money to help run the thing. They're only paying for the rosters, so it's not like it's costing right. you that much money. Yeah, I mean, it's not for for these owners. It's just, they're just they're getting away with a steal, and they're just looking to get away with even more of a steal. Exactly, it's ridiculous and. I mean, it's unfortunate, but, you know, I guess we're going to have to wait and see how this plays out, and hopefully it it doesn't go the way it looks like it's going, but not much else that could be done there. So uh, we'll now kind of wrap up this episode. We're at about an hour long here with just some announcements of some upcoming things here. What we have on the docket here, we have a handful of interviews coming up. We have a full slate for about the next month now, and actually whilst we were recording, Last one I needed to get confirmation on, get back to me and confirm the date. Here's how it's going to go in order for announcements. On next week's show, we're going to have former Florence Freedom, current San Francisco or San Jose Giants manager, Dennis Pelfrey on. So he'll be next week's. The week after that, and the, so Pelfrey will be on April 25th mm-hmm. for our May second show the first show in may we are going to have carson leon uh he's a former pecos leaker he also runs i believe it's one percentage baseball too so he's it's a well-rounded guy so he's going to be out that episode will be out on may 2nd uh on may 9th scott eiselhart the bench coach for the jackals and also runs a baseball scouting league he'll join the show then the following week, which is the last interview we have scheduled now, and we'll probably hold off on scheduling anymore unless they're a really, really big name until we, we start to get into May. Uh, for our May 16th episode, we are going to have Billy Horn on. He is a guy behind Meta Prospect and also a coach for the High Point Rockers. So it'll be fun to have him on. And then sometime next week, I believe April 22nd was the date I was originally planning that make it moved. We are going to launch a new series on the YouTube channel, which is going to be about defunct teams. If you were paying attention to our social media, you would have seen me ask about this about a week or so ago. And I finally came up with the team I'm going to do. We're in the scripting and editing process at the moment. 
So that basically means I gather a bunch of clips for this team after I write out a script for it and then put it all together. Uh, so we're still in the construction phase, if you would, but that will be out hopefully sometime next week, if not the week after. And uh, yeah, it's all about the funk teams. We pick one team, kind of go through it, go through their history, why they failed, the history of baseball in that city, and what the future looks like for baseball in that city going forward. So it's definitely going to be something to look out for. So yeah, again, just quickly as a rundown, we'll have Dennis Pelfrey on next week, former Florence Freedom manager. The week after that will be Carson Lee, former Pecos leaguer. The week after that, we'll have Scott Eiselhart, Jackal coach. Then the week after that, we are going to have Billy Horn on, the high point coach. So a lot to look forward to. Oh, yeah, a lot to look forward to, a lot of exciting interviews. That series is going to be a lot of fun. Um, that'll be really good to listen to you kind of break down these different teams. And it is really one of the things that's so interesting about independent league baseball is why some teams succeed and some teams fail. And I think we'll be talking about the, the virus is a huge point in that uh, for uh, many years to come. Exactly. It's definitely going to be interesting to see that now. Yeah, that's all upcoming. So what we're going to do now is what we do all the time. We're going to wrap things up with all of our plugs. So you can find the show just about anywhere you can find podcasts, most notably iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, Podomatic, Apple Podcasts, you know, the deal. And be sure to rate, review, and subscribe on all of those platforms to help us grow. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at IndieBallPod, on Instagram at IndieBallJames, and at IndieBallReport. And be sure to head over to our YouTube channel to subscribe so you don't miss this series that will be coming up. And that YouTube channel is IndieBallReport Podcast on YouTube. Now... If you just want one place to find all the podcasts, all the articles we're going to write and have written, and all the videos that have been produced and will be produced, you could just go over to our website, IndieBallReport.com, and it's all there, nice and well organized for you there. Um, with that being said, what else do we have left to add? Uh, just the usual sign-offs. Stay safe, uh, everyone. Thank you to all our workers um both medical you, you bring it up all the time uh the workers in supermarkets and essential employees and there everybody is so important to keeping the country running during this really difficult time and really appreciate all of their hard work and sacrifice and uh yeah just stay safe and we'll see you next week Yep, and I'm going to echo all of that, and this week I'm going to make sure to thank all the delivery personnel, from Postman to the to the UPS guy, to the FedEx guy, to the guy delivering the Amazon packages, and everyone in between, especially the people that are, you know, bringing, delivering food and delivering prescriptions and everything like that, keeping what little bit of normal society exists still, keeping that running, and, uh, you know, really being a lifeline for a lot of people, so... Thanks to all those people and everyone that you thanked. And, uh, yeah, with nothing else left to add, as we always do on this show, don't forget to play ball.